Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. And what, one of the things I want to talk about is why I believe it's appropriate to spend the kind of time we just spent on the stuff we spent it on, and, we, and to do that from time to time. Let me start here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And Paul writes this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, and, who, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, when you look at this, I, I don't want to be guilty of taking something way out of context here, okay? But when you look at this, I think the immediate application, the clearest application, he's talking about elders and pastors, teachers in particular, those who exercise authority, those who admonish you, correct you. Um, but I do think if we just take that phrase, I don't think we are, we are committing heresy. If we take that phrase, those who labor among you, to recognize those. Uh, some translations say, honor those who labor among you. I don't think there's anything wrong with looking around and recognizing there are people who are doing things that make our church healthier, that bless our families, bless our children, and to recognize them even officially from time to time all who serve in the church. And you know, this church, you know this, is really good about responding to needs that arise due to sudden changes. We respond really well when, the, you know, funerals are a hard thing to plan for in advance, right? Uh, but this church responds well when there's need to getting the church ready for a funeral, getting, uh, providing a funeral meal, uh, meals that need to be taken to those who have been hospitalized, uh, just had a baby or lost someone. There's also busy seasons like VBS, work days, special meetings. And all of those things require extra work and a lot of behind-the-scenes activity. You know, I don't know if you know how often and how much time gets spent this, in this church every week just emptying garbage cans, refilling toilet paper rolls and paper towels and, and replacing empty Kleenex boxes, cleaning counters, cleaning toys, all sorts of, and this stuff has to happen on a regular basis. And I was just talking about special meetings and things that come up. Even when nothing out of the ordinary is going on, it still takes a lot for this church to operate smoothly. You know, in addition to some of the more visible ministries like the praise and worship team, and I, know, I hope you know, the praise and worship team... Uh, yeah, they're up here for quite a while on Sunday mornings, but for them to do what they do, they also have to be here for even longer on Thursday nights, and they've got to be practicing at home. They have to invest a lot of their time and energy into getting ready for the part that you see on Sunday. But in addition to them, you know, um, we've got the ushers, and I'm probably going to, I didn't try to make an exhaustive list. I was just typing these out as fast as they, they came to my mind. We've got ushers, greeters, the welcome center workers, the security team, the bookstore, Sunday morning fellowship, Wednesday night meals, Saturday men's prayer, cleaning teams, uh, cleaning teams, cleaning individuals. We mentioned teachers and subs, uh, people who offer rides to church, small group hosts, small group leaders, uh, people who count the money, the advisory board. It takes committed members in general 
to be the church out there, to be the church out there, not just out here, you understand. It takes committed members doing the work of the church. This is what we're all called to do. It takes committed members to support the church financially, to come faithfully uh, to Monday night prayer, to pray for the church whether you come on Monday night or not. And so by the time you factor in all those things I just talked about, almost everybody in here is serving in one of those roles. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read this passage not because, not necessarily just because of the uh, context and the stuff that surrounds the part I want you to see. I feel like I have to read this whole passage because the way it's translated, it's all one sentence. I think I've pointed this out before. It might be the longest sentence in the Bible. But in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, we read this. And he himself, speaking of Jesus, that's the he, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Let me stop there for a second. He did not give those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry. He gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You do the work of the ministry, these ministry gifts, these positions are there to equip you to do that, right? We know that. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every, with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All these things, you know, starting with what Christ gave to equip the saints in the church to do the work, all of this is about growing up into the image of Christ, and that we as a body, this only happens when everybody is doing their part. This isn't the only place that Paul talks about the body of Christ. But God has put something in you, in every one of you, to supply a need in the church. A talent. Some time some money, and if you are not using what he gave you to that end, then someone else has to close that gap or else the church suffers, the body of Christ suffers. It's the same way in our human bodies, right? If you injure your foot or even your toe, you are going to walk differently. Another part of your body is going to have to bear that weight. If you've broken something, you might have to use crutches and not use that foot or that leg for a season. But what happens? You can still get around. The arms take over some of that burden that used to be on, the, on your right leg or your left leg. Or you walk with a limp, and so your other leg is bearing more of the burden than your right leg. And that's good. It's good that it's designed that way to do that for a season. But what happens if you do that too long? Then you risk injury to the part that is taking on that extra load. 
And maybe you've been on crutches for a while and you realize, wow, then your elbows and your shoulders get sore. Your arms, you could even get a, a shoulder out of joint or something. Just bearing up, trying to cover for the job that one leg is not doing anymore. That can happen in the body of Christ. If you're not doing what God gifted you to do, then somebody else who's supposed to be doing something else has to bear that load too. And then suddenly I can't do this job as well. Or they can't do this job as well. And something uh, eventually will fall through the cracks. And we've talked about this, uh, of, of course. Remember, this. I, I, I referenced this before the, before the offering. Every Christian is a minister. And the primary emphasis of that truth is to live your faith out. Live it out loud. Live it visibly in front of the world, in your sphere of influence, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ personally with unbelievers that you know. But you also have a ministry to your local church. When you invest your time, your talents, your gifts, your resources in living word, you do your part. Remember, it's what every joint supplies to bring growth to the body of Christ. And the visible expression of the body of Christ is the local church. You can't say, well, I don't mind giving to Jesus. I'm just not comfortable giving to the church. I don't mind spending my time serving Jesus, but that doesn't mean I have to serve the church. Yeah, it does. It really does. Those people you lead to Christ also need a community of believers to join themselves to. They need a sanctuary. They need a place where they can grow, where they can learn, where they can be discipled. And all of these little areas of ministry work, they work together to make Living Word Family Church a great place to do that. So that when you're out there preaching the gospel, sharing with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, you've got a place you ought to feel ready and confident to invite them. Come be a part of my church, my assembly. Come meet with us. We're all on this same journey together. We want you to be a part. You'll benefit from being at Living Word Family Church with me. But it's you that makes it that kind of church. And that's, uh, let me kind of shift over into something else here since it's, all, it's Promotion Sunday. I didn't want to just recognize people who are doing the things that make this church uh, really uh, operate so smoothly without also recognizing that we, we were talking about people, you know, we did a baby dedication. Uh, we talked about you know, people being, uh, joining uh, rangers, joining youth group, a new class, all these promotions. Uh, kind of goes hand in hand with recognizing those that labor among us, and it's recognizing milestones and transitions. Now, as, as a society, I think we're pretty good. I know there are people who make a point of not doing this, but I think we're pretty, pretty good about making a big deal out of birthdays anniversaries, uh, maybe graduations, high school graduation in particular. Uh, but if we look at a baby dedication. Uh, we need to have a baptism service soon, I know. We've had a couple people come to the Lord that I don't think have been baptized since then. So we need to do that. I'll be talking more about that. My, Cheryl, remind me, it needs to go in the email. Uh, and th even things like, again, promotion to the next grade of school. These are good examples of moments that can be, I think, legitimately memorialized because they provide markers along the way uh, on our journey. 
probably my favorite example of this from the Bible is one I shared not too many months ago. So I'm not going to re-preach it. Just refer to a couple, uh, a couple things. I'll read a couple passages here and point out a couple details that, that weren't really part of, of uh, what I, what, when I preached it last time. But the background, bear with me. Uh, back in Genesis, you had uh, you know, Abraham, the father of the faith, is called out uh, to a land that God would show him. And God made a covenant with Abraham and promised him that he was going to give him this land as far as he could see, as far as he could walk, and that he would multiply his descendants like the sands on the seashore, the stars of the heavens. And he ends up with a son named Isaac, and God reiterates the covenant to, to Isaac. And Isaac ends up with two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, you, re- you probably remember the story about how Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright. And then he flat out stole the blessing that their father Isaac had meant for Esau. This was a big, big deal back in the day. But the word Jacob meant supplanter or even deceiver. And he lived up to his name. He was a tricky dude. And his mom favored him, so she sort of helped him uh, cheat Esau out of Isaac's blessing. And Isaac favored Esau. There was some dysfunction in that family, even though God had a plan for them, a plan for all of them. Uh, but when Jacob had the blessing uh, from Isaac, he had to take off so that Esau wouldn't kill him. He had to leave his homeland for a long time. He went to work for his uncle for 20 years. Remember? Uh, and he's going to get a, a, a lesson in what it really means to be a deceiver from his uncle. But on the way, and this is in chapter 28, uh, he's, he's on his way. Uh, to go work for his uncle, and he goes to sleep. He's used, and he sets a rock there for a pillow. You know, it, it always cracks me up because, you know, the Bible tells us, it sort of describes Jacob, calls him a, a smooth man. Smooth as in hairless. You know, Esau was this hairy, Esau looked like Wolverine, right? And Jacob was this very uh, smooth, delicate, I, I always picture. Well, here he is, he's walking, he's on a journey by himself uh, to go, into this other land, and he uses a rock for a pillow. So there's something pretty hardcore about the guy. Anyway, he wakes up. He has this dream, actually, uh, or I would maybe a night vision. It was very vivid, where he sees, you remember this, right? They, they, they write songs about it, Jacob's ladder. He sees a stairway or a ladder uh, between earth and heaven and the angels ascending and descending, up and down, up and down. He sees this, and while, and then God speaks to him, and tells him, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to fulfill my... He reiterates the covenant to him. You're going to come back to this place, and you're going to have descendants. I'm going to continue to fulfill my promise to your grandfather through you. And then he wakes up, and uh, actually, let's just read this part. It's pretty powerful. In uh, Genesis 28, beginning in verse 18. Genesis 28, 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. means house of God, right? But the name of that city had, previous, had been loose previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat, and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then, 
the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, some of this stuff seems a little bit weird, and that's okay. Jacob did not have the revelation that you and I have about God and how he works. God, it's, all, it's progressive revelation, and God is using, where he's meeting Jacob where he's at and bringing him into a, he'll bring him into more maturity later on. But what I, I want you to see, what, what we focused on before is that Jacob knew the name Jehovah because this, when you see Lord, if the, if the Lord, uh, it says, uh, yeah, so that my father said, come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord, and it's all capitalized there, Jehovah, Jehovah shall be my God. In other words, he knew there was God, he knew there was a God, but he had not personally declared him as his God. See? And we live in a world like that. People who talk about God, they know him as God, but they don't know him really as their God or their Lord. Uh, and that's what we talked about before. We'll see how this plays out here in just a minute. The other thing I want you to see is this pillar. He took his pillow and made a pillar out. He turned his pillar into a pillar. Isn't that kind of funny? He, he takes his pillow and he, he makes a monument out of it. He anoints it and makes this vow. He knew he didn't just have a weird dream. He knew God was showing him something with this vision of the angels, and he heard God's voice. God makes this promise to him, and Jacob's like, I am telling you, if I survive this next season of my life, and not only survive, but prosper and come back here in peace, because remember, what's his primary motive for leaving right now? If he doesn't, Esau's probably going to kill him. He knows he wants to come back, but is Esau ever going to be okay with this? But if he does, God will be my God. Jehovah will be my God. So then he goes, works for his corrupt uncle for 20 years, and it finally comes time for him to go. Like I said, Laban is even trickier and more deceitful than Jacob is. But God is with Jacob. Laban tries to cheat Jacob out of his wages. He'll say, oh, look, instead of paying you money, you get to keep all the lambs that come out polka dotted or speckled. You know, and then, and then so he says, all right, I'll settle for that. And then what do you know? Practically all the, all the lambs are, are speckled. And Laban says, you know what? I changed my mind. You get to keep the striped ones. And then they would all be striped. God is the one who arranged all this. And Laban's just getting better and better. No matter how, how hard he tries to rip off Jacob, Jacob keeps prospering. Laban's about to give up. And Jacob says to his wives, uh, it's time for us to go. You've been witness. You've seen how hard. He says, I bore all the losses for your dad. I've done everything I can to be a good employee. And he just changed, he changed my wages 10 times. Uh, he's not going to be satisfied until he either kills me or runs me out. Let's just split. So they leave. And they decide to go back to Jacob's home. You can read it. It's just a few chapters. But what stands out, especially in view of his vow at Bethel, is that when he refers to God, when he's making his case to his wives, and then a little bit later when Laban catches up to him, when he's talking to Laban, when he, when he invokes God, when he brings God into the conversation, he always says this, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, my father. That's how he identifies God. He's my grandfather's God and my father's God. Isn't that interesting? After 20 years, 
of seeing God work in his life, he still refers to him as my father's God and my grandfather's God. Anyway, he leaves Laban, he takes his wives, his children, his servants, his livestock, his possessions, and he returns to his homeland, and the one big hurdle he has left in his way is confronting Esau. And the night before this confrontation, another weird thing happens. It says a man came and wrestled with him until the break of day. I believe this was the angel of the Lord, a physical representation of the pre-incarnate Christ. It was certainly an angel, a physical, uh, you know, manifesting physically. But they wrestle. And in the middle of this wrestling match, the angel says, what's your name? He says, let me go, because the day's about to break. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He says, what's your name? And he says, what? He says, my name is Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Deceiver. And it's all, it's, uh, uh, this really has very little to do with what we're talking about here, but you go back 20 years before that when Isaac said, who is that? Who, who are you? And what did he say? He said, it's Esau, your son Esau. He had goat hair on his arm to, to pretend to be his brother. He lied when somebody told him, asked what his name was. This time he has to confess, I'm a deceiver, I'm Jacob. And at that moment, the Lord changes his name. You're no longer going to be called deceiver. You're no longer going to be called Jacob. Your name is now Israel, Prince of God. We forget sometimes that Israel isn't just the name of a country. Israel is named Israel because it is the descendants of the man formerly known as Jacob. He is now Israel. And he and Esau meet the next day, and guess what? It is a peaceful, tearful, happy reunion. Jacob is overwhelmed with joy. He was in fear the night before because he heard he, got, he had scouts go out ahead. He said, Esau's coming. Oh, by the way, he's got 400 people with him. He said, oh, Esau's coming out for war. Uh, so he, sent, he splits up his, his, uh, his, part, his group into two, figures, well, he can only kill one whole group of us. At least half of us will survive. But Esau comes, he hugs him, he kisses him, and says, who, who are all these people? Oh, these are my children, these are my servants. Oh, what about all this stuff? He goes, oh, it's a present for you. And Esau's like, oh, I don't need any of that stuff, I have plenty. And Jacob's like, no, please take it. You have no idea how happy I am that you're not here to kill me. It really is a happy moment. And then we read this. This is at the end of chapter 33. Genesis, chapter 33, beginning in verse 18. Then... Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. God, the God of Israel. This is exactly what he promised at Bethel when he anointed that rock. If you will bring me safely home, if you'll provide for me all these years and bring me safely home, God will be my God. Here at the very moment he he comes safely home, what's he do? He builds an altar and calls it God my God. He's no longer just the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He fulfilled that vow, but he built a monument. 
He built a monument when he made the vow. He built a monument when he fulfilled the vow. He built a monument when he heard the promise. He built a monument, uh, another monument when the promise was manifestly fulfilled in his life. I want you to see that. He didn't merely think in his mind, you know, if things go good for me, I just might serve God for the rest of my life. He made a vow, he anointed a stone, and he set it up as a memorial. Years later, hundreds of years later, when the children of Israel, uh, this is after the Exodus event itself, after they left Egypt, and if you've forgotten how they wound up in Egypt, there's not much reading between what we just read and uh, the beginning of Exodus. You could read that in in an hour or less this afternoon. But uh, they didn't just leave Egypt. They got introduced to God at, at Mount Sinai. They received the law. They rebelled against God. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years while part of a generation died off. And then they finally are brought back to the Jordan for, for the second try. Are you going to cross the Jordan and go into the land of promise this time? Yes, they were going this time. Now they were going under Joshua's leadership. And we read in Joshua 4, I'm not going to read the passage, but you probably remember this, and this is reminiscent of them crossing the Red Sea. They come to the Jordan, and the priests come carrying the ark, and they've got to get across the river. And what happens? The priests step into the river, and as soon as they do, the river stops. It literally piles up downstream. I believe they could see it piled up. They cross the Jordan on dry land, and as soon as they get across, God says, you send a representative from each tribe back into that riverbed while the water's still piled up, and you get 12 stones, as big as you can carry, boulders, and you stack them up, and you put them right there where the priests stood. And that stack of stones is going to serve as what? A memorial for the day that you entered into the land of promise. It didn't just commemorate this single miracle of the the parting of the Jordan. It commemorated God taking care of them for the last 40 years, protecting them, giving them victory in battle, feeding them, everything. When we celebrate milestones, we should do it in a way that humbly acknowledges that God has brought us this far. But we should, we should make markers, have moments like this. I remember the day that I joined this, that I became this, that I made this decision. You know, uh, I can remember something they told. This may have been the very first day of orientation at Rama, uh, but it was Fred Brothers who uh, was, was giving us this part of the orientation. So I have a question to ask. He says, how many of you are here because you are convinced the Lord has called you to Rama?" And of course, probably every single hand went up, but the vast majority of us were, were there because we felt we had been called there. He says, I want you to think. I want you to think back to the moment when you knew God called you to Rama. I want you to think right now about how you know that you're not here just because, just on a whim, just because you thought it sounded fun. I want, if you raise your hand and you know that you're here because God called you to be, how do you know? He says, and you meditate on that because that is going to serve as an anchor when things get tough. When you're having trouble with your next tuition payment, your rent, 
groceries, when, thing, when you get lonely, when you get homesick, you think back on that moment when you knew you were supposed to be here because knowing that you're in, in the center of God's will will keep you here. And you will have faith. We've talked about, you've heard this probably a hundred times, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. If he calls you, he will equip you. If I'm here because God brought me here, he will do whatever is necessary to keep me here and prosper me here and cause me to succeed here. He didn't call, us, he didn't call you someplace where he was just going to abandon you and let you fail. I want you to mark down those moments in your life that you heard God speak to you. When you make a promise to God, write it down or share it with somebody. This is one of the reasons your testimony is so important. When you experience the fulfillment of a promise, testify. Whether you testify to the whole church or you share it to a small group or a good friend, tell somebody. They matter. Listen, I've known people who've walked away from God. And it, it boggles my mind, especially if I know this person, I was with them or I heard them talk about something God did in their lives, something they experienced. And to just to walk away from God, they practically have to close their eyes and stick their fingers in their ears and go, nah, 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 nah. they have to make a conscious effort to ignore what God has done in their lives up to that, that point. And people do it. You know they do. But it's, it's, it's still a very hard thing for me to get my head around, and it's very, very dangerous. So write down the day you committed your life to Christ. Your rebirth day should be written down somewhere. Put it in the inside of your Bible. Write down the date of your baptism. Write down uh, that that thing that God spoke to you at camp or that special way he ministered to you in a service at summer camp. Write down the day that you dedicated your child. Review your wedding vows, and if necessary, renew your wedding vows. You need to, in praise and worship team, you could be making your way up here. You need to remember what God has promised you, and you need to remember what you have promised him. Right? Stand up with me. And it's not about, listen, God, God just takes those things, he takes those things seriously. Your eternal destiny, your eternity in heaven is secured if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. But God isn't done with you. This is what we were talking about for several weeks there. We'll probably get back to it, how God has prepared a lifetime of good works for you to walk in. But have you ever made a promise like, like Jacob made? God, if you'll do this for me. That's really not the way we're supposed to go about it. We're supposed to start and say, God, what is it you want me to do? Again, we're walking in more revelation and more light than Jacob had. But you know, you made a promise when you got saved. You relied on the truth of God's word that he had already paid the price. Uh, but something we ignore too often, I think, is he becomes our Savior when we make him our Lord. When the Lord becomes your Lord, he also becomes your Savior. But there's a vow wrapped up in that. If you're going to be my Lord, that means you're in charge. I will do what you tell me to do.
This has been kind of a different message, I know, and that's okay. I'm gonna, and since it's been a different kind of message, I'm going to end it in a kind of a different kind of way. This isn't scripture. This is kind of a lighthearted little song from the 70s. The Imperials recorded it in the late 70s off of uh, their Heed the Call album. Simple little uh, chorus. It says this, He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. He has made promises, and he will keep his promises. And in one of the most precious promises he made is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this, is what he, this is exactly what he said to, uh, to Jacob. I'm going to be with you. You're going into a hard season, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to prosper you along the way. He's not going to abandon you. He's not, going to be, he's not going to revoke his promise. He is faithful. Will you say today, as Jacob did, as Israel did, he is not just God, he is my God. The only access you have to him is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing you can do to deserve it or make God love you more. He already loves you that much. He loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you. Will you respond to that this morning? If you have never acknowledged, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord, if you've never acknowledged your need for his finished work, your need for a Savior, today's your day. If you have, and you're waking up to the fact that, you know what, accepting his finished work for me was really making a vow to him that I haven't done a good job of fulfilling. And I want to renew that vow. You ought to do it in front of everybody so that people can look and say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? I remember the time. I was with you when you made this promise. I was with you when you recommitted your life to God. Just as we ought to be able to do to encourage one another and say, hey, do you remember when God did this for you? Don't you dare turn your back on him. Don't you turn your back on eternal life just because things have gotten difficult now. Do you need to surrender to Christ for the first time today? Then do it. Do you need to recommit your life to the God who saved you and continues to love you and has never turned his back on you? Do it now. Do it today. I'm going to pray a short prayer, and then we're going to sing a song, right? As we start singing, come up here and let me pray with you, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for milestones. Thank you for markers. Thank you for monuments and altars. Thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to look at moments, things we've written down, things we've remembered. And thank you for being merciful and bringing back to our memory, back to making us mindful of every way you have fulfilled your promises in our lives. Forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for any way we've strayed and failed to fulfill our vows to you. But help us to always remember that you are the one who made the promise. That we are simply trusting in you for everything you've done and everything you promised to do and everything you continue to do. It's my prayer, Lord God, and I believe it's the prayer <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> of every believer in this room that if there is anyone in this room, anyone in the sound of my voice who has not uh, confessed you as Lord and Savior, that they would do so today, that you would move on them and convict and instruct and grant them the humility, the wisdom, and the boldness to come and receive that free gift of eternal life today. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. 
For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.